On this episode, we discuss Love on a Leash. This romantic comedy is for the dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Now I wish I had said this movie is a real catastrophe. Damn. Okay. And welcome to the Flop House. I'm Dan McCoy. Oh, hey there. It's me, Stuart Wellington. And it's me, Elliot Kalen. Dan, you sound a little sick. What's got you down? Uh, what's got me down? Those are two different questions, but um, I mean, I guess what's got me down is the fact that I'm Sorry, a sick. I didn't mean to throw you a curveball so early in the show. <laughs> Dan, I apologize. Dan. I talk to you the way I would talk to another human being when I instead of should have talked to you the way I talked to a no, robot. No, so, mean... okay. Run.exe diagnostic. Why you sick? You yeah. sick? Why slash N? Wait, why am I sick? Well, uh, some sort of bacteria or virus. Uh-huh. He's okay, my I apologize. Okay, system. again, sorry. Let, he, let me do this may, again. He, okay. may, he may be down, but his temperature okay. is up. <laughs> Run.exe Dan diagnostic program sick. You sick? Why slash N question mark. Uh, yeah, I'm sick. I uh, Right before, I don't know if you guys have this experience, like I can feel myself <laughs> getting sick, like right yeah. before the weekend, like it just came upon me, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, this like is happening. Yeah, just like how Elvis could feel his temperature rising, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been a slightly miserable uh, weekend as I've been dealing with this, my throat hurts. Yeah, but... then the like the camera move it, movements and editing gets kind of jittery and fast and you like rush into your uh, your bathroom and you're like, knocking bottles of pills off of the uh, sink and you're trying to hurriedly open up a package of emergency and you're like, there's still time. Yeah, that's right. I did try like all of the things that are supposed to shorten the length of a, you know, of a cold, like zinc and some sort of, I don't know, crazy like bullshit that doesn't probably do anything, but uh, none of this seems to be working. I can only imagine uh, months down the road when listeners have been listening to episodes and they're like, this was the start of Dan's 10-month sickness. (laughs) (laughs) It is true that once I... His friends made light of it. It is true that once I get a cough, it does not go away. Mm -hmm. It just adds to your pre-existing cough. Yes. (laughs) Like, anyway. a, like a Chris Claremont X-Men plot line. It just continues in very short bursts for years. I, I appreciate, despite the ribbing you gave me, I appreciate the concern over my health. Yeah, or perhaps I, you just I, wanted to want explain you... it to the audience. No, no, but I want you to feel better also because I care Thank about you. you. Anyway, enough about Dan. Who cares about him? What do we do on this podcast, Dan? Uh, <laughs> this is a podcast where we watch a bad movie and we talk about it. We are still in the throes of September, small t- timber, small what? timber, small vember. You're small thinking vember, of the word yeah. small vember, <laughs> okay? Uh-huh. Uh, where we watch uh, smaller movies that people may not have heard about. Um, and this is this, case, this is our uh, opportunity as giants among the influencer industry to punch down at smaller movies. Yeah, and we're punching case, so far down we might as well just kick because we're going to mm-hmm. lose our balance if we keep trying to punch that low. Uh huh. We went back a little further than we usually do for normal non you know contest winner episodes or guest episodes or anything like that because normally the year we do, was uh, 1927 
And all of America was except was had Lindy fever, and this far. movie came out, right, Dan? No, we eight years. It's a it's a 2011 release. The year was 2011, and all of America had Lindy fever. That's right. A man had flown across the Atlantic Ocean by himself. That man, Lindy Lindbergh, inventor of Lindberger cheese. <laughs> Okay. Well, now you might say you mean Limburger cheese. No, this I, is a different I, I would cheese. Say that, Lindberger yeah. cheese. <laughs> he took Limburger cheese, carved his name into it, made it a new cheese. It's called Limburger. <laughs> and that cheese inspired the catchphrase of one Steve Urkel: "Got any cheese?" Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't know that that catchphrase is a reference to Lindberger cheese. It's like those Looney Tunes cartoons where they reference things that people don't remember anymore. Yeah, they throw stuff in for the adults. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the thing about Steve Urkel. He had mm-hmm. two catchphrases. Uh-huh. When many Americans only have one catchphrase. I think Karl Marx would say, he had two catchphrases, did I do that, and got any cheese. Uh-huh. Karl Marx would say, no one should have two catchphrases until everybody has one catchphrase. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's true. And then the baby from Dinosaurs stole the show with you, also two catchphrases. Do we have catchphrases, guys? <laughs> do we have catchphrases? Uh, uh, well, Stuart certainly does. What's yeah, that? I got like a million of them. He's got uh, a million. Uh oh. Lots of you know. Yeah. Wait, uh, what? When he there's says, "There's also uh, I also do." Did I do that? And got any cheese? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I think you're mistaking yourself with one Stephen Urkel. Uh, I can understand how you could make the mistake. You guys are almost total copies of each other. <laughs> yep. But anyway, so the point is, this movie's a little older than we usually do. It comes from the year 2011. That's right, mm-hmm. the 21st century, the future. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Uh, okay, and it's on Amazon Prime, so why don't you run over there, cue that shit up, and start watching. So That's the amazing thing the about leash. this movie is, this movie is terrible, let's just say that, but also it is, anyone who has Amazon Prime can watch it whenever they want, Yeah. whereas mm-hmm. there's so many greats of the cinema which are unavailable for streaming. I uh-huh. guess that's I- the future. I think there's, uh, I think there's what like a, a subcommittee that's investigating Amazon's practices of, uh, you know, like uh, monopoly and other kinds of shit like that. And I'm assuming there there is also a subheading where they're like providing unlimited access to Love on a Leash. <laughs> <laughs> so, Stu, tell us about this movie, Love on a Leash. Sounds okay, great. Okay, so you fire this movie up. The poster, by the way, looks like a professional movie. It is not. Uh, we open with almost no production logos, right to business like I like it. Image of dog <laughs> sitting on the rocks. This dog, a uh, golden retriever. We then watch some additional footage of a dog walking around a park, shot with a handheld camera, not out of place in a serial killer video or the Nine Inch Nails Broken movie. Uh, now, when is, you say serial killer say, video, is that a video for serial killers to watch or a video made by a serial killer? Well, I think there, uh, the answer to that is both, Elliot, because a serial killer makes the video and then he watches it. He doesn't just make it and stick it in his fucking murder van like a maniac. Wait, he is a maniac. Okay. Oh. So, uh, and when I say that there is no sound, there is literally no sound. Multiple points in this movie, there is no audio whatsoever, which I'm assuming the f- the the filmmaker uses a feature rather than a bug, so that occasionally if he would uh, he or sh- it's a woman. So she, this movie. it's a woman. Yeah, this was actually she, a, this was the feature film debut of uh-huh. director Fen Tian. She was 72 when she made it. And apparently, this was her dream project for years and years and years. Uh, her biggest credit in Hollywood was that she was a she played. Auntie number one in the Joy Luck Club. 
Yeah, but she was she was a graduate of a, a number of uh, Chinese arts and film academies, and this was the dream she had, love on a leash. So when you guys started the movie and there was no sound or music, did you, like me, think that your iPad or television had broken? Mm-hmm. Well, you you warned me, Elliot, so I... I... But I was still amazed because when, when you said no sound, I didn't think you meant like no sound or like a void. Because <laughs> yeah. and there's scenes where like even once the sound starts, people will talk and there will be sound for the talking, and then the sound will drop out entirely. And let me yeah, like all ambient sound. And as I was saying, I think that's almost like a feature in this movie because it's like like the filmmaker is assuming oh, the audience is going to have lost interest and be looking at their phone and will have to look up when they think the, the, like there's something wrong with their TV all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it was, I, It's not since the last episode of The Sopranos was I so sure that a creative choice was something going wrong with my cable. <laughs> I want to say, um, you know, I, a lot of people probably know this already if they're listening to a film podcast, but for those who don't, uh, a little filmmaking thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're making a movie, you take something called room tone, uh-huh. Which is just the sound of the ambient noises around you, the sound of the room, like, mm-hmm. and you use that. You just lay down a That's, base uh, of that. Isn't that you're tearing me apart, Lisa? Isn't that the sound of the room? Uh, <laughs> What's anyway, your name? you you lay down yeah, a base. Wasn't that wasn't the room tones Tommy Wiseau's band? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You lay down a base of that audio, and it helps sort of cover o- over these edits. It, it provides a, like an audio uh, well, it, consistency. And because we don't live in a soundless void, yes. even when there's nothing going on, we still hear things. So to ha- to see a dog walking around, or as is used as a transitional shot, for some reason, ducks on a pond, uh-huh. and have no sound whatsoever is a jarring experience. Yeah. Uh, to, to shift gears in such a dramatic way that they would grind and moan, I just want to say, uh, we have been trying to give some content warnings on these shows, and I just recalled that I wanted to... Later on, there is an attempted rape and an attempted suicide, which uh, seems very strange for what is ostensibly a lighthearted movie about a guy who is a dog half the time who finds love. But anyway. Uh, Dan, Dan, the idea of being trapped in the form of a dog is horrifying and terrifying to me. Not lighthearted at all. The idea that you would make a lighthearted movie about a man who is sometimes a dog (laughs) is crazy to me if he and if he was running for say da that would make it even more <laughs> frightening that you're attempting to improve the world you live in by running for mm-hmm. public office and yet sometimes you are a dog a shaggy dog perhaps at that the uh-huh. very idea of it is horrifying to me and so just the thought that it would be a lighthearted movie is is insane whoever would make that movie is an insane person and should be locked up Okay, so, guys, I think it's time that we try and cut through this Gordian knot of uh, passions and heartbreak that make up the <laughs> plot of this movie. So, as I mentioned, there is no sound. Suddenly, fr- from out of seemingly out of nowhere, a man's vo- voice cuts through the void. Uh, and we hear a man's voice that we have to assume is the voice of the dog or just a strange voice speaking in our head. Uh, it's a man who is complaining about the lack of women around here. Uh, the lack of women in the park that the dog is running around. Now, you, would you describe this this voice, would you describe it as a pleasant, rational, nice person's voice that is funny and good to hear and enjoyable? I would say it sounds like a off-brand Paul F. Tompkins doing a, like a jerk comedian impression. <laughs> <laughs> Does this, doesn't, doesn't like a man try to pet the dog and he's like, hey, I'm not gay. 
Yeah. Like, oh, what? oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the, what is the, going on? And there's a there's a dawning horror among the uh, there's a dawning horror in the viewer as you realize the dog is not interested in ladies or women that are dogs. Oh no, he is trying to find a, a female human. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to make a point of this too, Stuart, because at this point in the film. We are not aware that this is a man trapped in a dog's body, so we can only assume that this dog is horny for uh, human females. I mean, to be honest, real dogs are. Let's just face it. Any human leg, they are all over. So, you know. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. It's, you're saying that, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, so, <laughs> so. <laughs> Unless I am just so totally dog-like that dogs are drawn to my legs, because uh-huh. the experience I've had is that dogs see a human leg and they're like, yowza, awooga, head turns into a steam whistle, opens uh-huh. mouth, tongue lolls out like a red carpet, rolls back up again, eyes turn yep. into like, uh, you know, Patriot missiles, they start hitting themselves in the head with a hammer, uh-huh. like that's what happens when dogs see human legs. Yeah, yeah, your legs turn into like, I don't know, like a ham dinner, or like a turkey leg, <laughs> yeah. or like a, a nurse in a short skirt walking slowly, provocatively. Yeah, and also before we move on, sorry, the, the, the dog's talk, I want to describe it a little bit in that it is kind of the same sort of just random, constant patter that you get in like a Popeye cartoon, where Popeye yeah, or- is monologuing to himself. Well, it feels like you are watching. Someone watched America's Funniest Home Videos, and they heard Bob Saget putting his voice into that of a dog on a video, and they said, "I think there's a movie in this. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, shoot some footage of a dog and talk over it." And so, and I, Stuart, I think you're overlooking the the occasional bursts when a movie that features no music whatsoever, the dog occasionally has these stream of consciousness songs, not unlike one of Elliot's letter songs. So close <laughs> that I would almost feel like Elliot has some kind of legal uh, suit against the movie. I certainly felt like my style was being bitten, say by a dog. Now, Stuart, uh, why do we learn? Do we get any hints as to why this dog yeah, or I'm, man the, is in that predicament? Yeah, the the dogs are uh, through through sprinkled clues. We come to understand that the uh, that there is some kind of a consciousness trapped in this dog's body. A change had happened, and that the dog wants to change back into a man. Uh, he blames his curse on a nearby pond, which is apparently magical and can talk to him and occasionally shoot out <laughs> bursts of sparkles. Um, he asks the pond, uh, which uh, gives the dog a magical quest that he must find a girl, which is convenient since that was his interest in the first place. And I got to say, this is all this, all of this information is sort of doled out so like quickly and vaguely mm-hmm. that only because I have seen other movies in which a, a man is trapped inside a beast, say Beauty and the Beast, that I was able to understand <laughs> the basic premise of the film. I do appreciate the, the chutzpah it takes to have a magic pond appear in a movie as if that is a normal thing that happens a lot of the time. There's so never we, even like, what? A talking pond? The pond just starts talking and you're like, hold on a second. I have to assume it's the pond that's saying this because that's what's on screen. But that's nothing's prepared me for this. So, the, Stuart. The, so we now watch the, this dog character walk around and uh, try and find somebody. And uh, we then cut to a scene in the park where we have two women who are sunning themselves. They are Paula, who is dressed in pink, and Lisa, who is dressed in green. Uh, Paula is urging Lisa that she needs to date more. We learn that Lisa is a virgin. Paula says something. Uh, she says something about like the world, like some places filled with freaks, geeks, and players or players, which I feel is uh, 
that was kind of a missed opportunity for a second season or a third season of Freaks and Geeks, right? <laughs> yeah, Freaks, Geeks, and Players. Yeah, sure. It's around here while... Uh, so at this point, uh, the, uh, the dog has set his sights on Lisa. He, he thinks that there's an opportunity for him to find one of these... To take one of these women back to the pond and find a way to turn himself into a man. Because he needs to find... He needs to convince a woman to love him in order to end the... And, and we spell. learn, and we learn that Lisa has, uh, you know, some. Uh, uh, yeah, she's Christian. She has a deep faith. The dog says the line in his head, of course. Uh, you don't need a god, which is great. Uh, <laughs> I because, am your god now. <laughs> I mean, god and dog are the same letters. Uh, think about it. But also, like, it's just thrown away in like one single line later in the movie. I believe that he was turned into a dog because, as punishment for being. A Lothario before uh-huh. that. Yep. But it's never clear, like, who is punishing him. Mm-hmm. You know, this pond is magical, but what yeah. what entity is like, this guy was uh, sleeping around too much. Well, Clearly, this is, he must be turned into a dog. Was it a powerful spell cast by Azalyn Rex, Lich King of Ravenloft? Who knows? We'll <laughs> we out. can only assume. <laughs> we'll have to fill in that information. So, sure, it's the Lich King of Ravenloft. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, the dog, uh, because at this point the dog doesn't have a name, uh, we'll just call him Dog. Dog gets dirty, uh, he uses that as a way to trick Lisa into taking him home and giving him a bath. He then immediately runs away. Yeah, I don't think yeah. we're, I don't think we're quite giving, uh, a, enough of a picture of how disjointed this film is, uh-huh. because for instance... The dog meets Lisa. We're like a minute and a half into yeah, the movie. Yeah, this is, this, is, uh, this is the point at which I kept, I was telling my mom about this movie, and she texted me last night, and she goes, at 1.5, she, no, she, goes, she goes, I watched a minute of it, and I turned it off, and yeah. I think she got to this point. Yeah, but it's so disjointed that, like, the dog meets Lisa, the dog runs away from Lisa, the dog, like, gets dirty, meets Lisa again at, uh, like, a car wash. It's a gas or station. A gas station, yeah. yeah. And Lisa's like, oh, you know, like, come home with me. And she washes him off. But, like, it was so... I wasn't immediately sure that it was the same woman because it was such Dan, weird... She's, she's still wearing green. Yeah, but it was yeah. such... But it was but also, and Dan was like, this movie obviously has a huge budget. Certainly they could afford another actress for this scene. No, but I'm trying to get the point across that it was such weird storytelling to me that that, that she just that she didn't just take the dog home after meeting him in the park. There had to be this like interlude where like the dog runs away and then meets her again at a second location and then she takes the dog home. So Dan, yeah. this is how you know you're in the hands of a true artist because the movie is making you ask questions about its intentions yeah. and the movie isn't taking the easy way out. Certainly, the easy way out would have been for her to just take the dog in the beginning. But you need to throw complications in the path of your characters uh-huh. and then also complications in what the audience expects. Now, you might expect that the dog, since it needs Lisa to change back into a man, would be friendly to her. But instead, the dog continues to run away and belittle her in its mind in yeah. ways that are strange and bizarre since it needs her far more than she needs it. But yes. that's when you know you're in the hands, as I say, of a true artist yeah well i have some theories about that but uh, i'll wait till later in the movie one of my theories is also that they didn't really have a great dog trainer and they just have a lot of footage of that dog running away from things and they had to write it into the movie oh i since you bring up the dog trainer i was gonna save this for later but since you bring it up i looked up the the woman who plays lisa's mom who has not been introduced yet in this synopsis she's introduced around page eight of my notes yeah sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but uh, but since you said dog trainer, she is actually a 
very accomplished animal trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, she, for instance, she's worked on a lot of big movies. For instance, she was the head animal tra- trainer on Doctor Strange. She has like eighty credits. What on animals are in Doctor Strange? I don't recall, but like she's <laughs> like Benedict uh, Mads, M- Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now imagine Mads Mikkelsen saying his line, and then a woman off screen giving him a treat. Or like they have to, to get Mads Mikkelsen to look in the right direction for the CGI, they have to use a feather to kind of and wave it in front of his head so he looks around. But I can only assume that they got her to do all the animal training for the movie by dangling an acting role in front of her. She's like this. Much is my as chance. she would dangle a feather in front of Mads Mikkelsen's yes. face. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, proceed. So, uh, so Stuart, where does Lisa work? Uh, I think we find that out next. For. Uh, <laughs> Uh, excellent segue, guys. Lisa works at a uh, like a clothing store that's in a basement. Uh, <laughs> she uh, we're introduced to her. Where are we at? We've already skipped over the fact that everything in Lisa's apartment's green. Instead, oh yeah, of and having... the dog men- the dog continues to mention why is this house green? Why is yep. everything green? And Lisa yep. wears green all the time. Now, uh-huh. Lisa, but I wanted to get to when she's Christ. helping a farting woman in a too tight dress. <laughs> okay, give me a second. I'm just taking a breather. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we're like three minutes into the movie. Let me just skip over the notes about how instead of uh, curtains in her apartment, she just has like a green sheet tacked over the windows. Uh, She decides to name the dog Prince. We are now going to refer to this dog as Prince. Uh, Prince and Lisa go shopping. Prince gets uh, kicked by a guy who runs a clothing store, which is very harsh. Uh, and then we learn that unlike normal dogs, and this is when Lisa learns that Prince is a little bit special, he can actually see color, as evidenced by his ability to see <laughs> that her entire wardrobe and apartment is green. Uh, so he picks out clothes that might be better for her. A dog talent agent sees this and becomes very excited and gives Prince a business card that he uh, takes with his mouth. The Okay. Now, we are at Lisa's house. Uh, oh, no. no so you, you skipped over her coworker, Kyle, who, is, who asked her out. Yeah, Kyle is uh is he a coworker or does he own the place? I can't All tell. I know is he has a clipboard in his hand. I and guess he's that's a symbol of authority her. in yeah, my the, opinion. Yeah, the the uh flow chart or the or, org <laughs> chart rather of of who is who in the store is very confusing because Lisa's uh like awful manager berates her for how she handles a a uh, a shopper, but there's then, a client who wants a too tight dress, and Lisa says that dress doesn't fit you, but she wants it, and the manager is like, "Oh, that's of course it fits her. She's great. Why would you ruin this sale?" Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, that's a classic uh, good cop bad cop trick. That in yeah. this case, Mort Mort the manager is a good cop, and he slides in there with. Uh, yeah, but the point of what I'm but saying, a very is, bad man and a very bad manager, as okay. we find out later. But the point of what I'm saying is that Kyle uh, sort of like tells her afterwards, like, "Oh, I like your way better." And it's very confusing, as I said, as to who's in charge here. Because if Kyle is above the manager, if he's the uh-huh. owner, it seems like maybe he would have said, hey, don't treat her that way. But uh-huh. he just it's kind of also, like whispers it to her afterwards. Uh, yeah, they're probably it's, co-workers. This is around the time Charlene mentioned, uh, my wife Charlene mentioned, nobody combs their hair in this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, my girlfriend mentioned that uh, Lisa, I would not have noticed this as a man, but Lisa has terrible hair extensions. Oh, okay, and they're mm-hmm. they were very visible once they were pointed out to me. Now, uh, I, I have to assume that Kyle then, let's say, he was researching stores for a paper that he's writing. Uh huh. Yep. Maybe for like Forbes or the Financial Times or something like that, uh-huh. or the Rand Institute, and that's what he's just there researching. That makes sense. 
So Lisa goes back to work. Her manager, Mort, tries the old spider trick where he says she's got a spider on her back and then he places her, his hands all over her back. Oh, yeah. Oh, we also, oh, uh, Shasta says when she names the dog Prince, we learn that the dog's name is Alvin Flang. Uh-huh. <laughs> and this is just something he occasionally says sometimes. But even when he comes, when he, when he is a human later, she, he is still called Prince by Lisa and he never says, no, actually, my name is Alvin Flang. It just doesn't come up. <laughs> Okay, uh, so as, as and, you can uh, tell, and Lisa uh, is friend zoning Kyle pretty hard after they go on a date. Yeah, so I think I think our listeners can tell at this point that this movie is a little bit all over the place. If it sounds like <laughs> Stewart and Elliot are fighting over the fucking driver's wheel, of this mo- uh, podcast. I'll just um, say if, if this this mo- while we were watching this while I was watching this movie, I yearned for the craftsmanship and coherence of a talking cat, which mm-hmm. is so inc- so. Well-made and stru- well-structured compared to this movie. So uh, the, an, an old friend, Rita, shows up to uh, Lisa's house. Uh, Rita is also dressed in pink. I don't know what this represents. Uh, <laughs> Rita, Rita is trying to set Lisa up on a date. She mentions that a uh, amorous uh, shopper at the store from earlier was actually uh, part of a setup. Was that, what was that guy's name? Frank? Hank? Um, Honestly, in my notes, I just call him the guy and weird customer. So she decides, you know, she is conflicted because she likes Kyle and she also likes this other fellow who I'll find the name in my notes later. Uh, she lies down on the couch and pulls out a headshot of each of them. And she's like, <laughs> whom do I date? I guess I'll date both. It's her uh, It's her Richard Third moment. Uh so we learn that Lisa sleeps in a heart-shaped bed. Very appropriate. Uh, there's a... I, I hesitate to use this word, but there's a getting-ready montage, which is just sped-up footage of her putting on clothes <laughs> while the dog watches. Uh, Lisa is having trouble deciding. This is when uh, Prince uses the term wambulance to great comedic effect. <laughs> <laughs> She then gets a phone call from her mom that is totally shot like an evil villain is calling her. <laughs> it is totally like a kidnapper's shot. Uh, it's just, she's sitting in pitch black darkness. <laughs> yep. And with, like with, I think, her back to the camera. Yeah. My, so <laughs> yeah, our, like our, I imagine she's like stroking. What's the cat from, uh, from Inspector Gadget? Our theory while watching this was that they couldn't get that actress for that scene. So they shot her in silhouette and had to stand and do it. Honestly, I think you're giving too much production credit to the movie. I think that they just thought it would look cool, maybe. I don't know. Or they just didn't have lights that day. So yeah. so the mom uh, starts to... What we seem... Uh, we, we feel like the mother is about to chastise her for dating multiple men. But no, no, no. That's a misdirect because the mother says, no, you should date four or five men. And that seems like overly complicating Lisa's life. Uh <laughs> Around now is when Prince the dog bites both of the headshots and then makes uh, some off-color comment about how one of the photos tastes Japanese uh, because one of the actors, I think, is Japanese. That dog has just been hired for Saturday Night Live. Continue. Yep. Oh, I was right. Topical. It is Frank. So she goes on a date with Frank, who is the customer. Uh, they are in Frank's house, I can assume. At first, I thought it was some kind of a tea room. <laughs> Me too. I thought they were in a restaurant, but then I yeah. think it's just their house. <laughs> but, ba- but based on the way that Frank's, uh, they're having, they're on a date, I guess, with, uh, and Frank brought along his mother, who is portrayed as an evil harridan. 
and she is specifying exactly how many slices of ham they can eat, which is kind of the clue that it wasn't a restaurant, because you can't do that at a restaurant, right? You can't specify exactly how many ham slices you get. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if well, you're right. paying by the slice, I don't know. I mean, if you're at a deli, you can sell, you can buy it by weight. I mean, know? if you want, f- if you want fewer slices, I assume you could specify that. Yeah, I don't you can't think just you can go and go, hey, slices. give me, give me twice as much as you'd normally give me for yeah. this amount of money. I don't yeah, think I don't you think can that. do that. One of one of my favorite stories my wife tells me when she was growing up is uh, she clearly remembers going to Italian restaurants with her dad and her dad telling the waiter when they sit down. Hey, can you bring a meatball for the kid? And the waiter would just bring a meatball out before they'd even get their food. Which, I mean, I feel like all restaurants should just bring a meatball for me. (laughs) Can I, I, like, wear a shirt that says that? Or maybe I'll I'll note that in my reservation. Uh, So we also learn... um, Please provide pre-meatball. I will expect a meatball at the table when I arrive. So Frank, so so Frank says, put it yep. in a crystal goblet like a fancy feast. <laughs> Man, I don't know. Like you know, growing up, we didn't have crystal goblets, and I would see that cat walking up to that thing to eat that fancy feast, and I'm like, how dare you, Lord, your wealth over me, cat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Karl Marx would say that no one should eat their cat food out of a crystal goblet until everyone has cat food. Uh-huh. Like, hey, look, you may eat out of a crystal bo- a goblet, but we both shit in a box full of sand, so get over yourself. <laughs> uh, so we learned that we learned from this mother that uh, Frank... I, th- I always forget, Stuart, that you were raised on a shit mummification commune cult. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the cult of the dung beetle. Um, so fr- we learned that Frank has a, has a five-year-old... And obviously, the this five year old's grandmother is very concerned that uh, because Lisa is coming into their life, and they have high aspirations for this child, that they expect him to become president of the United States. Uh, mm-hmm. don't, the movie doesn't clarify whether that happens, though it does cover a relatively large period of time, as we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> That's a that's a little plot thread, I guess, for the sequel. But she does specify some weird stuff. Uh, she they she places the condition that if Lisa were to marry Frank, which is odd because this once again seems like a first date, uh, that she would not be allowed to have any children of her own, and that because this mother is a, a still working or a retired gynecologist, uh, Lisa would have to have her tubes tied. Uh, and this is all, Lisa's reaction to this, which should be like, "What?" She just has this look on her face, like. Okay, that, if that's the price I gotta pay, let me think about this. If that's mm-hmm. if that's really what it takes, like I'm not sure it's worth it, but let me think about it. it's. She's just absorbing all this information about how they have scientifically figured out how to raise this child, and she can't have any children. She's gonna be the kid's stepmom. It's a very strange scene. Uh, shortly after this, Paula comes over uh, to hang out with Lisa to Lisa's house. Prince comes up and bites Paula. And then Prince gets thrown out of the house. He and he has to find a way to get back into Lisa's good graces. Uh, once again, not really established why this needed to happen. Uh, now, suitor number two, Kyle, comes over. You know what, Stuart? You made me. I this this movie feels like they shot like a four episode or five episode miniseries and then condensed it down to a movie. And maybe that's what happened. Uh huh. Kind of like uh, kind of like Widows. Uh, Widows was originally a miniseries that was uh, remade as a repurposed as a, a long film. That you know. Oh, was it? I didn't yeah. realize that. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Think about it. It. Uh. I. I feel like that. The more you think about, it, the more that kind of shows in the movie. But whatever. It's no, I think you're right. I think. I no. I think I'd like to too. But I think you're right. There's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in that movie, and that makes more sense. And I also. I still don't get how in that movie 
a guy who's running for alderman shows up at the funeral of a famous bank robber and is like, <laughs> I worked with your husband. I had a lot of respect for him. It's like, wait, you were, he's a famous thief. <laughs> you worked with him and you knew him? I don't, it's a straight, it's, that was the one moment in the movie where I was like, wait, what's going on in this movie? Uh-huh. It's like, was this originally meant to be set in a wild west town? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, so Kyle comes over, and of course, at this point, he proposes to Lisa after she explains the bona fides of her art collection. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a prominently displayed painting, and then Lisa explains who the artist is, what their work history is, and where you can find it uh, for purchase. (laughs) It's on auction at Sotheby's, she says. However, there's a little wrinkle here. Kyle proposes, however he explains... Uh, he explains that he is uh, he is a gay man, and he would only be proposing to Lisa as a way to uh, appease his family, and of course he would need a child. He tells her he's like he he really backs into it and buries the lead because he's like, and if, of course if we were married you could continue to date and be involved with whoever you wanted, uh, and I do want to marry you even though I find you physically unattractive. I mm-hmm. do want to marry, you. and she's like, what? And he's like, oh, I'm I'm gay. That's what it is, yeah. and my family's ashamed of me. And it was like, wow, this this scene got so heavy. And, and that was yeah. that was a long way to just get across the road there, buddy. I don't know why you <laughs> had to go all the way around the block. I don't uh. I don't know why we were going in reverse down this highway, but. <laughs> and he he tries to sweeten the deal by offering her luxury furs, which is an odd movie in a movie about a woman who falls in love with a dog. <laughs> Lisa Lisa turns him down and. Kyle leaves he's like please think about it and he leaves and this is when uh, this is then we get to a kind of difficult scene where out of nowhere her manager Mort breaks into her home drunk and begins to assault her he explains that he uh, is in an unhappy marriage that he is uh, not uh, he is not sexually fulfilled by his wife and it is not safe to see a hooker in his words which I don't know (laughs) I don't think that line's ever worked now during this (laughs) During this assault, I mean, so Prince runs to the rescue, but his attitude is very strange. The voiceover is like, hey, get off her. She's mine. Yes. It's, it's not, It's not. Choice. hey, get off her. You shouldn't That's rape, wrong. rape Lisa. It's, hey, get off her. She's mine. And then um, Mort, uh, having been uh, defeated by the dog, uh, he runs off while shouting over his shoulder that Lisa is fired. I do not think that firing would hold up. Um, and then Lisa like breaks down and sobs on the couch while the dog does like victory gloating. Yeah, he sings a song about how he's the king of the castle. It's very it the it's so we've seen. I guess what I'm saying is uh, this movie is kind of tone deaf emotionally. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. a nice way of putting it. Well, here's a theory that I have. Um, so I think that once the guy the dog turns into a guy i think that his voice is different than the dog it's very There's different no question okay that's the so case. I'm Dan, not... if you just think that then you got to look a little closer cuz it's okay. incredibly obvious okay so it is my theory that this movie was made it's almost like you're like i'm going to hypothesize that the man and the dog are not the same because they look a little different yes dan they're completely different all right so all right i'm taking so the movie my was I'm made. T- taking my lumps uh, i i feel like the movie was made and then uh, they might have been like, hey, this doesn't make as much sense as it should. Like, there's huge swaths of no noise whatsoever. Maybe the dog should talk. And, like, they also wanted to lighten the mood of the movie because the movie is weirdly dour for something that, again, is 
ostensibly a romantic comedy, I think. And so they just got someone in after the fact to just improvise riffs over things who maybe doesn't understand, like, what the movie is. Like, he's way meaner to Lisa as a dog than he is as a human being. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, I th- short, Sorry, shortly, shortly after this, uh, Lisa takes a bunch of uh, Mentos-shaped sleeping pills. Oh, wait. And, Let me uh, t- wait. Uh, before, we, before we move on, Dan, I think you may, that may make sense that this maybe this movie was not originally meant to be a comedy. Yeah, I think it was probably maybe it was meant to be a romance or a drama, and then they were like, "No, no, no, we we should add jokes to it." Exactly. Let's hi- let's bring someone in to ad lib all this stuff, and there's yeah. like, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Dan, I yeah. think you might have cracked the code. Yeah, let's because- make a movie about it. We'll call it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Loving love on a leash. Because mm-hmm. later on, I don't like. I don't want to jump ahead too much. But later on, once he does become a man, part of the time, like the movie is a lot about sort of the struggles of being in a marriage and how much extra uh, like tension is caused by the fact that she has to keep this secret and he's a man only half the time. Mm-hmm. And it seems very once again uh, a plot point that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah, but it seems. <laughs> odd. I just want to like. I think jumping around makes sense here because I just. I'm saying that it seems oddly serious, like the person behind it intended to make more of a kind of magical realism sort of story, and it just didn't work, so they tried something different at the last minute. Mm-hmm. Anyway. It was originally called 100 Years of Dogitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was written by, uh, uh, I don't know, <laughs> Salman uh, Bark D. <laughs> <laughs> Salman Rufti, let's say. Oh, yeah. wow. That was just sitting on the table. And I didn't pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Now I'm taking my lumps. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, Lisa takes a bunch of uh, sleeping pills, and she passes out on the floor. This is when Prince the dog says, if she's OD'd, I'm screwed. Which, once again, brings up the fact that, like, he clearly, like, he's a huge asshole. Like, I think why that's the are, movie that, that like, him? sums up the, that's the line that sums up the problem with the movie. If she OD's, I'm screwed. Like, it's so Ugh. heartless. So, Lisa, uh, so, quick thinking Prince the dog runs out into the street, lays down in front of a car, the car stops. Prince uh, leads the driver in who finds Lisa. Lisa is rushed to a hospital, which is aptly named Garfield Medical Center. (laughs) Mm, Easter eggs all around. Uh, Prince then sings letter songs. Uh, Lisa gets out of the hospital. She runs home in the rain, suspiciously not wet. This is a very odd scene where she runs through a fake rainstorm and then goes into her apartment completely unwetted by the water. She also uh, comes home pretty casually from her stay at the hospital after taking all those sleeping pills. Yeah, she she's looking around for Prince. She can't find him. She picks up an umbrella and then throws it away. Um, <laughs> and then and then she goes. Uh, yeah, she goes running out into the rain. She goes into a park. Um, okay, this is where this is where the movie gets a little weird, guys. Because she runs into a park looking for Prince. Prince is there. She exp- what expresses her love for him, or he expresses she, his love so for her. She, yeah. she vows to have no men but him forever. Mm-hmm. Which uh, we then get some sparkle magic, and all of a sudden, Prince is no longer Prince. He is a naked, strange man standing in the uh, standing in the water or er, standing he in the is, park. He is a strange man, right? Like there's something very weird about him that I couldn't quite put my He's, finger on. For well, a man who is a dog half the time, his body is very hairless. I also think that part of it might be that he's <laughs> that wearing... That wasn't it. 
He's he's wearing a crazy wig that I think is meant to be reminiscent of the dog's fur. Mm-hmm. So that's part of it too, ah, I think. I didn't even think about that. Once again, Easter eggs all around. He <laughs> says uh, she obviously Lisa is terrified. What sh- uh, she had previously been touch uh, touching her dog, and now there is a naked strange man, uh, albeit incredibly attractive. Uh, Imagine how weird that would be, be petting a dog and then suddenly be feeling naked human skin. That would be strange and crazy. Uh-huh. And he, he, uh, he, he calms her down in a voice that is nothing like the, the dog's inner monologue. And he says, <laughs> don't be afraid. It's me. It's really me, your dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, th- and she is swooning. She's terrified. She passes out. Somewhere in this process, he glosses over the, the, the whole story, which is, as we said, he was, a, uh, he was a man in a previous life, he says, a man who was cursed for his philandering and turned into a dog. Yes. But also, I mean, she's, she's befuddled by what's happened, but she also uh, thanks God for answering her prayers for a man. Yeah. She, like, wakes up and he, like, proposes to her. Uh, yeah. She declares Prince her husband. Then uh, we get a little uh, sequence where Prince explores. Oh, and he still goes by the name Prince, which is odd. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, especially since earlier he was literally yelling, my name is Alvin Flang. I'm <laughs> Alvin Flang. Uh, Prince explores his new human body, looks at his butt, and then we see... <laughs> it's, so, it's so funny because that probably is one of the first things you would do, right? Is check out your own privates I mean, I to make sure that would. they look the same. I mean, I do, I do that every morning when I wake up. Yeah, just uh, to make sure there's no tail there. Uh-huh, make sure I'm not a dog. Um, <laughs> we then uh, were then treated to, I don't know, one of the worst sex scenes in human yeah, history. Yeah, <laughs> I want to talk about this. Now, so, she, <laughs> like, up. Lisa is sort of, like, awkwardly giggling and kind of, like, rolling away from him a lot of the time. And I think the movie is trying to uh, show you, like her being sort of uncomfortable like, or, or her being like experiencing sex for the first time because she was a virgin. I think uh-huh. that like the giggling and sort of uh, like putting her hands over her face is supposed to be that, but it it reads like she really doesn't want to have sex with this guy. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, he seems kind of grossed out by her. Yeah, it's very unpleasant. Like they yeah. really, but say what you will about the other bad sex scene involving Elisa in the room. Mm-hmm. At least Tommy Wiseau looks like he's uh, uh, interested in some way, even though Lisa herself looks terrified. Yeah, and, she's al- there. and also this guy was a dog a couple hours ago, and they have jumped into bed immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's also kind of strange. Look, the at ult- any moment he can turn back into continues. a dog. <laughs> and, a, and it's, like a, it's like a conjugal visit in prison. You've got to take advantage of the time. Yeah. Well, and, and that, those fears are realized, Elliot, because the next morning she wakes up to find that a dog is in her bed. And then they immediately get over it. Uh, Prince <laughs> runs over and talks to the magic pond, trying to find out what the deal is, because he thought he had fulfilled the conditions of his curse. No, no, no. The the pond. I think the pond explains that like they're not a hundred percent committed or something. Yeah. So he only gets he, to I, be a, he only gets to be a dog when the sun is down or shrouded by clouds. Yeah. The 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 pond keeps really moving the goalposts because the pond. <laughs> The pod keeps giving like this guy kind of like love quests along the way mm-hmm. before he has to. He's like, well, no, no, first, now you got to do this. Now you got to do this. His, yeah, like, like a lone his, shark. His, his princess is literally in another castle each time. Yeah. yeah. Like, you got to find a woman to love you. Oh, uh, well, now you've got to learn true love. Uh, well, now you've got to understand that a marriage means sacrifice. And it's like, pond, are you. 
are you making this up or are you learning this now? I think uh, something that is just very strange is it really becomes, as the movie goes on, it becomes more and more clear how different Prince is as a man than as a daughter. As a man, he's like, Lisa, I love you. You mean so much to me. I I just want to be your husband. I want to take care of you. And as a dog, he's like, What's your problem? Get out of my face. Come on. Like, just, yeah. <laughs> we're like oh, again with the green clothes again. Oh, boy. I'm a dog. I'm a dog. I'm a dog. I'm a dog. Like, it's, they're so, it, we talked about it before, but they're just, it keeps hitting you over the head how incredibly different they are. Yeah. And, like, this is, I wonder, this is why I wonder whether the we're guy. We're about 30 minutes s- in the movie, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> This is why I wonder whether the guy even saw the film because another instance of that is like the dog at the beginning, as we mentioned, like makes an offensive joke about like, hey, I'm not gay. Like when a, a man is touching him and then her coworker, you know, a gay man is presented relatively sympathetically and just as like a normal dude who needs some help. And it's like, who like, who, like this guy didn't see the movie that he was doing his voiceover for. That is, is my point, I guess. Yeah. Well, now, when you say normal dude who needs some help, you mean like some help with his family situation, not some help not being gay. Yes, I. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I. I just want to make that clear. Okay. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, they, you know, they talk it through. They figure out that he is. Uh, they figure out the situation. Lisa is pretty much on board with dog fucking. Um, she. Well, no. Uh, she's. Hold on. It's, 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 he's a man when they do it. This is just their new true. normal. Every every relationship has its ups and downs, and yeah. their downs are during the day when he's a dog, and their ups are at night. And so, I think you know what I mean. So we like we see we see about scenes, their ups. We see scenes of their. I think life. you know what's going up at night. <laughs> yeah, you're you're making the same joke that my girlfriend actually made a few times during the movie, which is like. I only need him to be a man at night. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As, hey, as, look. as the tagline Charlene proposed, he licks his ass at day and her ass at night. <laughs> <laughs> now, why that would have been much clearer about the movie, uh, but yet it's. I think it's a lot of women's dream to have a man at their beck and call. Literally, he she can command him during the day uh-huh. to do things like sit play dead that all wives uh, want their husbands to do i think you're getting into a weird area here elliot that i'm not going to support you on yeah, yeah, yeah you've been uh you got you just uh signed on for that new uh what women want project right yeah yeah it's called what you're... women want dot 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 they want dogs that become men at night <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah it's a and sequel it stars... reboot it's a legacy sequel you know it's, it still stars mel gibson and his own dog <laughs> oh wow a courageous <laughs> choice <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, we get to see some scenes of their like their their daily life. Um, Lisa, I guess, has a new job or the same job. That isn't clear. Uh, <laughs> she she we get a scene of her preparing like the saddest fucking breakfast for herself and uh, and Prince, where she like is scraping cream cheese from a little like takeout container thing. <laughs> like it's so like, come on, dude. Uh, <laughs> And then we, she has a good laugh when Prince, unlike every other dog in history, is uninterested in human food and only wants dog food. And she has a good <laughs> laugh at that. She's uh, like, "You want dog food? Ha 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 ha!" Okay. And for and then we we get a little, like a, we, a little manic actually. Yeah, it's kind of a weird "Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf" type type moment because it's like, "Oh, you want dog food, husband? Well, I'll feed you that." <laughs> or like, um, whatever happened to Baby Jane when she serves her a rat for dinner? Yeah. Well, I guess it's like something that's in the form of a question: "Who's afraid of Virginia Wolf?" 
what whatever happened to Baby Jane? Who slew Auntie Rue? All that. It's Jeopardy mm-hmm. style. Throw it's Mama from a train. The great chefs of Europe. Yeah. Exactly. All of those. Uh, all dogs go to heaven? Question yeah. mark. <laughs> no. They they purchase a uh, they purchase a collar and a leash, and then they pose for some photos that are like part. I would say they're like part wedding photos, and also part like once again kind of serial killery photos, well, like the like, sort of things you would find in a in like. A basement level in a Resident Evil game. I mean, it's like I mean, <laughs> they're they're bondage playy, I guess, because he's like wearing the leash, uh-huh. which I'm not shaming. That's wonderful, but like because he is literally a dog half the time, she does seem to be very much playing into. Maybe like it seems like maybe her fetish now is the fact that he is a dog. Yeah, I mean, she's she's ha- she's in a situation that as far in as she knows, case- no woman has ever been in before. She is exploring new boundaries on the erotic continent, and she yeah. really likes that. Which is, I w- I agree with you, and it d- this does feel like a one-off situation where a man is was initially cursed into a dog's body, and then has somehow found a way to live half the time as a dog and a man. But later on, as a dog, he and a bunch of other dogs are, I think, like fighting over food. And we hear the inner voices of all these other dogs, and they seem to be communicating. So, like, yeah. is this a common thing? Is this, I mean, I guess it says something about the reality we live in. Oh, I mean, man. that's it's true. It's true that if all dogs were people in the form of dogs and mm-hmm. we couldn't hear them talk, we'd have no idea, and we just would never know. Pray. Pray that you don't learn the other half of that scenario, that you don't end up as a dog. For the flop house, I'm the crypt keeper. <laughs> oh wow! You're really, never uh, crypty. Yeah, you've to- toned down your uh, your thing. <laughs> I'm the new I'm the new crypt keeper. They fired the old guy because of the puns. Mm-hmm. Now my whole thing is sleight of hand magic. Close up. <laughs> Dan, pick a card, would you? A tarot card. <laughs> I I mean I can't through the the Skype connection, but uh... once again, Dan, you have refused to yes and a scenario. <laughs> I, the Crypt Keeper, had no way of knowing that you are a logical robot, but Elliot, if he were here, should have known that, and he apologizes. All right. So we then go, uh, so despite all, all their, you know, their newlywed bliss, uh, we, we, there's a, a rocky road ahead because we have a scene in the park where they're having a picnic. And Lisa has gotten all the things that he loves, uh, what the, like chopped liver, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And mm-hmm. but there's something that's like kind of stuck in uh, Prince's craw. Uh, this is uh, she, she wants performed... she wants him to eat this food, but there's something eating at him. Yeah, and this is performed admirably by this dog actor who is just sitting on a blanket in the park <laughs> while Lisa uh, talks to him and has a one-sided fight with him. Please it's communicate so... <laughs> with me. And this dog just stares off into the void. <laughs> Smiling, oh, to be a fly the on the wall in this scene. It is so perfectly strange. Happy. All I could imagine was people walking by and seeing a woman yelling at a dog in the park as if they were in a relationship and being like, what is going on here? Because it's shot from like far away pretty much too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the dog may be smiling, but his eyes aren't. He is certainly not smiling. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh so it's, you're saying it's one of those situations where he's like, ha, 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 well, let's get home. We'll talk about it there, honey. And she's like, mm-hmm. we'll talk about it right here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but so we, we learn that he, he feels, uh, he feels that he should be able to provide for her if he is the, the man in this relationship. And this is, this is a, a challenging thing. Cause as we've said before, he is only a man at night <laughs> and there's a limited <laughs> amount of professions in what? 
Los Angeles? Where is this? Los Angeles? Uh, I, think it's, I think it's Los Angeles. But, Stuart, you as everyone know, you would know better than anyone, nobody works at night. There are no jobs at night. There are no mm-hmm. nighttime jobs. Yep, I'm coming off uh, like three hours of sleep because I worked a nighttime <laughs> job. Um, so he gets a job at a... Uh, the remember the the dog talent agent who showed up earlier. Well, he comes back, and weirdly enough, we have another returning character. That's right. The dog talent agent is uh, working with the farting woman from the dress store. <laughs> <laughs> because there are no loose ends in this movie. That's craftsmanship. And, and yeah. she she needs a dog actor for a uh, a commercial she's doing. And I I got a little lost in the exact series of how this all played out, but I think he made a phone call or left a phone message. And uh, he left a phone message and said, well, first he gets there too late. They've already uh-huh. left for the day. And so he sits in a hot parking lot and we get the immortal line from the throat guy who's throwing lines into the dog's mouth. Ah, my ass, because the parking lot, I assume, is too hot for me in the mm. sun. And then he called he, as a human that night, he calls the dog agent and arranges a daytime meeting. <laughs> and the dog agent has a uh, has a the, he has a like a bubble letter sign on his front door that just says dog talent agent. Yeah. <laughs> but also, but, but also not, the, since, not since the joke thieves comedy basement has there, yeah. has there been a more apt name on a, on a building. But also the message he leaves is like, hey, remember that dog you, you're looking for? He'll be outside your building at like this hour or whatever. And like, so the dog is just showing up unchaperoned. And I really wonder how the dog is getting paid, whether they're just handing. Well, you, they explain dog. it. They explain yeah. it, Dan. They hand cash to the dog. He okay. says, pay him in cash. Give it to the dog. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. The client and the agent go into their his office. The dog is already there. Prince is already there <laughs> sitting at the desk, a master of breaking and entering sneakily. And they're like, we got to prove that he can do this. Pick up the red phone, and then Prince picks up the red phone. Now pick up the la- the indigo phone, and he picks up the <laughs> indigo phone. And they're like, he did it! He's the most brilliant dog in the history of dogs! Yeah, it's it's pretty incredible. So he gets his commercial gig. Uh, they also he, treat him he like shows- he's already famous. They are, so, they are so deferential to this dog sitting at a desk. And I think it's hilarious. It was like, oh, sir, you're here already. Uh, well, if we could talk to you about the commercial, it's just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he gets his gig, obviously, because he's an amazing dog actor. Um, and then he shows up uh, with uh, presents for Lisa later on as he's a man. And, and he, he, when she asks him about it, he says, don't ask how I get money, which is like, that's the shadiest way to say that, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Paula's car breaks down, and she needs a shower. Oh, wait. Uh, before that, before that, we do see what Lisa finds out about Prince's job. How does she find out about it? Uh, yeah, know? so she's watching, uh, she's watching TV, uh, and Prince realizes that one of the commercials that he's in is on there, so he tries to turn off the TV. She watches it, uh, and in fact, she realizes, oh, my God, you're, you're a commercial dog actor. Yeah, and, and the, the commercial, involves, the commercial yeah. involves Prince... Fighting and then befriending a ninja. Yeah, mm-hmm. and nothing, he didn't show what the product phones, is. I'll tell you that. Well, yeah, like he had <laughs> he had shown up with a like an injury as a dog, and she's like, "What's going on?" And he's like, "Don't ask me about my money." You know, <laughs> I just I got I'm doing it for my family, like every guy on a uh, reality competition show ever. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I think at this point, and they I think they gloss over it. She's like, oh, "Okay, well, you got a job. That's great." She's like, um, you're a famous, you're a famous dog who who teams up with a ninja on TV. That's my life now. Okay, it's a living. You would think at this point she would then help support him. I would think it would make life much easier if she's like, okay, well I'll manage you. 
Like, why yeah. don't? But I guess that's uh, that would infringe on his, uh, you know, his his sense of self and worth. Well, uh, part of part of a marriage is having separate spheres, so you can have your own thing. Yeah, it, I mean, it would be very strange if a husband and wife were to work together or own a business together. Or... <laughs> I think it would be crazy. You're asking for disaster at that point, cruising for uh, a bruising, if you will. <laughs> yep, and I, oh, have I been bruised. Um, so, <laughs> so you're saying uh, Paula comes over. Paula comes over, her car is broken down. Uh, this is at nighttime, so of course Prince is a, is a human man. Uh, Lisa <laughs> is terrified and hides a naked prince in a like a small wardrobe, or like a temporary wardrobe. Paula needs to take a shower, of course. Uh, she is immediately suspicious of Lisa's uh, behavior because Lisa is behaving very suspiciously. Oh, by the way, this the shower thing. Like she she barges into the house and like immediately goes to the bathroom. And Lisa's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm going to take a shower," as if it's the most normal thing to do to go to a friend's house, walk in without telling them that they're going to take a shower, and just start showering. Mm-hmm. Please continue. Uh, well, I mean, she wa- Paula maybe, watches I guess a lot you're, of Cinemax. Yeah, yeah. and you're, you're, I guess your car has never broken down before, Dan. Okay. <laughs> That's hot work. <laughs> um, okay. So she, uh, so she, Paula, Paula finds Prince, of course, because they're acting crazy. She uh, is uh, obviously frightened because Prince, it looks like a monster man. They, uh, but a, a very, you know, cut and beautiful monster man. They, yeah, a very gentle monster man. Paula does not take this well at all. Despite her earlier urgings for Lisa to find a man, she is horrified that Lisa would hide this from her. Uh, and it, it's it's a very strange, like, it's that sort of thing where you're like, why is this character angry? Yeah. She seems so intent on Lisa getting some earlier on. And now she's like. This is the friendship-ending argument that they have. She's like, you're a, you're a hypocrite. I thought you were this big virgin, but now uh-huh. you're not. But you actually have a man. You lied to me. I'm out of here. I mean, it says a lot about how uh, sometimes in our uh, friendships and relationships, you can kind of pigeonhole your friends into just one thing. And, like, everybody has, into, like, rich inner lives, right? I'm not, we're not just, like, one character. No, not at all. <laughs> so I was, like, unless you're Dan. But anyway, so the, I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would say that uh, much like Watergate, it wasn't the crime, but the cover-up oh, that made okay. Paula mad. And since he, she hides him in a shower that zips up. That they, yeah, I, a, I feel like in, it's in like a, a with temporary an, With an thing. opaque uh, shower curtain, I would call that a water gate. Oh, oh okay. A oh. gate to get to the water of the shower. Oh, so let me, uh, this is all let me, layers let me, upon layers. Well, let me I check guess the, the rule podcast book. is uh, over forever yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, Elliot's uh, joke works. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do the math, please. Technically a joke. Okay. Uh, so now that Paul is out of her life, uh, Rita has no option. Rita, Lisa has no option but to have a fun day with her other friend, Rita. I feel like Rita is like, now I get to move up a slot to best friend. Uh huh. And Rita, who had seemed somewhat innocuous at first, starts to show her true colors. Uh, she is. Uh, uh, <laughs> Rita is very aggressively trying to get Lisa to go to places with her. And at this point, I'm like, is Rita also trying to magically transform into something? <laughs> um, she she takes Lisa to uh, looks like a restaurant with a dance floor where Lisa's mother is. Uh, so Rita and Lisa's mother are already at, are at this restaurant, and they're encouraging Lisa to dance with a collection of different men who begin to fight over dancing with Lisa. Lisa is put off, and uh, it is revealed that Lisa's mother and Rita have been paying these men to dance with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, which they're very bad at their job. Like it seems like they would just take turns rather than fighting over. Yeah, I mean, if, if it's if, it if was, it's a job, why would you? I mean, are they being paid by the like the step of the dance? I assume yeah. they're being paid per dance. Yeah. yeah. Here's something that I want to say at this point. So this movie is obsessed with Lisa getting married or paired off. Like all of the characters uh, proposed to her almost immediately. She is seeking a man. When she finally does get married, it is right away. And her her mother is obsessed with this as well. Uh-huh. And um, yeah, her mother says the only thing that would make her happy is for Lisa to find a man and so yeah. And I'm gonna reveal another piece of the puzzle in Dan's girlfriend. So my girlfriend is. Wait, why are you why are you hiding pieces of puzzles in your girlfriend? Like, oh mm-hmm. God. You, she swallows them. Very gross. Anyway, um, <laughs> I haven't uh, seen Ready or Not yet. Don't spoil anything. So my girlfriend <laughs> is Asian, and when she found out that the person who made this was an elderly Chinese Im- immigrant, she's like, "Oh, this makes so much more sense because, like, she's like, okay, this is like a cultural thing where." It would be more important to, you know, marry off a daughter in the way that this film wants her to be married off. Uh, but it's baffling in like sort of modern American context. Like it, it yeah. makes it makes far less sense to be like, oh, like why does everyone give a shit so much? Yeah, about- b- based on our reactions. Yeah. So she Lisa at this point uh, lets the lets the other shoe drop, and she reveals she has found a man, mom. You don't have to worry about me. She says, you, I got a man. And your mom says, and her mom says, what's your man got to do with me? And mm-hmm. they, it's, they go they on keep, like they that. They keep doing so that she, for a long time. Her mother's time. like, oh, amazing. <laughs> I need to meet this man. Uh, and Lisa's like, of course, we can have dinner tomorrow. And her mom's like, no, no, no. I have a plane booked in the afternoon. <laughs> don't, that's, that's strange. Uh, I have a plane booked in the afternoon. Let's meet in the morning. Uh, Lisa's like, oh, that's that. I can't do that, obviously, because Prince at this point would be a dog. Let me state the rules. Um, but then Rita's like, oh no, uh, we can we can change that booking because I guess Rita's also her mother's travel agent. Yeah, it's a, a needless she's, complication. The plot. She's kind of a jack of all trades. You get you kind of get the feeling that the mom is not the best at taking care of herself. She gives a speech to Lisa about how like. I know I have a history of bad men, and that's influenced you to be afraid of other men and things like. She, you know, this mother is carrying a lot of uh, carrying a lot of backstory baggage. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And so, but they agree to this dinner, and we uh, the dinner's held at a restaurant. It's shot. Uh, there's a lot of awkward scenes of people slowly eating their food. There's a lot of synchronized fork movements as mm-hmm. all four of the people at the table take a bite at the exact same time in between lines of dialogue. <laughs> the uh, Rita and Lisa's mother are very aggressively pushing uh, for information, like what does he, what does Prince do for money? Uh, and of course, they have to. They come up with a uh, lie that they say at the exact same time, and they both mess up. Uh, Lisa and Rita's mother are Lisa's mother and Rita are trying to push for them to get married tomorrow uh, at the license bureau. I don't know. This is uh, th- I felt like this scene was uh, you know kind of the center point of the movie. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it was an intricate play of words and uh, character moments. And, and there's a- there's a feeling of like if if they aren't able to show up and get married at the courthouse tomorrow at 10 a.m. that there's something clearly suspicious about uh, about Prince, a man they just met. Uh, the problem, though, is Prince doesn't have an ID. He is undocumented, or should I say undocumented? 
you shouldn't, shouldn't say, say that. that. Uh, I do love the idea that uh, <laughs> I do love. There is the scene where uh, where Prince and Lisa are in the car talking about their options, and Prince is like, "Oh, well, we could just elope, or we could go to Vegas." And <laughs> she's like, "Prince, you don't have an ID." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. Um, yeah, so obviously this is the... Uh, I, I like that they're exploring some of the challenges that this uh, fantastical situation sets up. <laughs> oh, yeah, they've thought it all out. So now so now uh, Rita shows up. So, you know, they, they, they turn him down, and Rita shows up to the house, uh, and she, ha- she has this, like... Str- she shows up to Lisa's house with a strange story. It's, like, in the morning, and she's like... There's trouble with my car, or like I got lost and I got dizzy, and I need somebody to drive somebody to the airport. It's and and uh, it's the most obviously made up fake story that I've ever heard. And Lisa is is like, okay, well, I guess the only option is for me to drive your car. Rita, you stay here, and Prince, I don't know, uh, stay here too. But like. The clock's ticking. He's about to turn into a dog any moment. Which means now. this is like pre-dawn. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, this is so, this is after this is after he failed to show up to get married, and then as a dog wandered off saying "kung pao" over and over again. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which which fits into Dan's theory that they just hired someone who had not seen the movie to just speak over the dog footage. But okay, so she's gonna leave, and Rita's there with Prince. So Prince, like Prince, is nervous. Rita, uh, Lisa leaves. And Prince turns around, and Rita is immediately searching the apartment. She's tossing the apartment. She then begins to, like, kind of attack Prince to try and get information out of him, find out where he works, what he does. He's too mysterious. Prince runs away while Rita chases after him. He starts to slowly morph into a dog, and by morph I mean, like, a tail is sticking out of his pants. He runs into a restaurant. It's not exactly an American werewolf in London, is what you're saying. No. He runs into a werewolf. They, they only had uh, time for one amazing dog transformation effect, and that is later on in the movie. Uh, he runs into a, a restroom in a restaurant. Uh, Rita chases after him, and when she opens the door, a dog runs out, and there's a pile of clothes sitting in the corner. Uh, Rita talks to Lisa and says, you know... I saw I saw a prince turn into a dog, and Lisa's like, "You saw him turn into a dog," and she's like, "That's the only explanation for it. I didn't actually see it, but come on." Man goes into a, a bathroom. Dog runs out. Clothes uh, left behind. Either there's yeah. a naked man in the in the vents. Now what? Scott, Scott McCloud explained it that you your mind fills in the blanks between yeah. the panels. What if, what if this turned into like took a sharp left turn into film noir at this point? And Rita just starts blackmailing uh, them to not reveal that he's a dog. I'll tell your mom that he's a dog. If you don't, I mean, that'd be one of those things. Where it's like, go ahead, and no one's gonna believe you. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we can't take that chance, Lisa. We can't take that chance. We've got to give Rita the money or kill Rita. And then uh, he kills Rita. Does he kill mm-hmm. her as a man or as a dog? Because either way, he could be out in public as the other form. Or does Lisa do it? And they're like, uh, Lisa, you should have let me kill her because I would have more deniability because I could do it as a dog. Anyway, they're on the run is the important thing. And the police are on the lookout for a woman with a dog so they can only travel at night because she's not a woman with a dog at night. She's a woman with a man. I call it they live by night. <laughs> Great. Uh, we learn that in Lisa's house that she has a drawer just full of uh, various actors in the movie's headshots. Uh, that's <laughs> odd. Uh, so Is this when she tells Rita to get out of her life? 
Yeah, I think she she tells Rita to get out of her life, and she approaches <laughs> Prince, uh, where she thinks the I think is it around now where she suggests to Prince that uh, that they need to have a baby together. Yeah, it's at Prince. Prince sings his song, his immortal song. I will never make my goal. As he wanders the town, going, I will never make my goal. I will never make my goal. And then she says, there's only one option. We have to have a child. And Prince is distraught by this, and Lisa doesn't understand why. She's like, what, 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 could, what could be causing all this trouble? Do you not love me? And, of course, the reason is because he's a half man, half dog. Like, <laughs> what do you... He says, like, if you want a b- bouncing baby warg, then yes, mm-hmm. maybe we can do this, but... yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they deal with a bunch of other basic relationship bullshit. Lisa starts to be a little emotionally manipulative and she, uh, she pressures, uh, she pressures Prince into going to a work lunch. Uh, her <laughs> boss is throwing a work lunch oh, on that's right. his so veranda this during is the, the owner afternoon. This the owner of the store, the yeah. owner of the store who we have not met before. This is no. after, uh, I just want to make mention that there's a, a little plot cul-de-sac as they're going to go together to see an exhibit of Chinese fossil statues, but uh-huh. no dogs allowed. The, <laughs> so Prince is nervous about uh, making any kind of plans during the afternoon, but Lisa's like, no, it's going to be it's going to be cloudy. As soon as it's cloudy, she commits. She pressures <laughs> Prince like, into going she, with her. She's like, it's going to be cloudy with a chance of meatballs, so even if you turn into a dog, you'll love it. So mm-hmm. two things, like this is a, a this is apparently a new rule. I didn't know that this was a sun based transformation and not a day and night based transformation. But yeah, I also, think the pond explained that part that if the sun is <laughs> occluded by clouds, yeah. But also, like we see them at this luncheon, and uh, you know it's pretty bright. It's one of these cloudy days that's uh, achieved by throwing a, a filter over the camera. Mm-hmm. It's one of these cloudy days that's achieved by having the characters talk about how cloudy it is, regardless yeah. of the surroundings. Which is, and what I love is that on this uh, very cloudy day, they've decided to still uh, just fuck it. Let's eat outside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, next to the pool on the veranda. Uh, mm-hmm. This scene has maybe the best dialogue in the whole movie. Just the, the, the boss and his family talking. It is so... Obviously written by someone who is not familiar with like American idioms necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's co- he's complaining. He's complaining about his kids. Where uh, he's like, he's like my kids don't have any interest in running the stores. And his daughter says, "I'm a medical doctor." <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, and it's great. And uh, but he wants but he wants to promote Lisa to, to manager. Yeah, right? he says, "I'm thinking about promoting you and some of the other guys." <laughs> <laughs> So he has this—he has this whole plan, uh, and she's obviously very excited about this because it's a big promotion. Um, and lunch wraps up. Prince is sitting at a side table with the son of the manager, uh, and Lisa is walking around the other side of the pool, uh, you know, hashing out some of the details. I'm assuming when uh, the sun comes out and Prince immediately, <laughs> immediately anamorphs into a dog, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and the kid shouts. Dad, Prince just became a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Lisa falls in the pool. She's so she's so horrified. And Prince saves her while being really verbally abusive. And that's my yeah. other favorite line in the movie. You pizza face cinder block, <laughs> which makes no sense. The Now, do you think she was in her head? She's like, if I make a big enough scene... Nobody's going to notice that <laughs> Prince just became a dog. They'll just remember this as the day Lisa fell in the pool, not the day Lisa's boyfriend turned into a dog. 
Okay, so this scene wraps up as soon as the two of them climb out of the pool. We don't know, actually, if there's any fallout. Uh, we see them, like, kind of toying over the troubles of their relationship. Uh, they're playing with a chair in Lisa's house that is a giant hand that I had not seen before. <laughs> uh, it's basically the chair that, uh, that, that Buster is sitting in in Arrested Development, right? That big yeah. game chair? And... Uh, this is when Prince explains that there's a, uh, might be another option to die and be reborn, <laughs> uh, which Lisa is not up for for whatever reason. I don't know. What a wimp. He leaves her a Dear John note, and he runs off. Uh, it's written on green stationery or a green napkin. Uh, she Lisa doesn't take it well. Uh, Prince runs and talks to the pond. He explains that you know it's just not going to work out. Uh, he's tried everything he could possibly think of. And the pond's like, what are you talking about? Why don't you guys just stay together? And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the pond's like, you have to work out your problems. And it's like, uh-huh. at this point, the pond is just the is just Prince's, like, Wilson from Home Improvement. Mm-hmm. Like, or Wilson from Castaway, for that Bas- matter. Basically yeah. a magical therapist that you don't have to pay. Yeah. Oh, if only. But you do have to state your problems out loud in front of everybody at a par- public park. At a uh, I, I don't think the dog is speaking out loud. I could be wrong. So you're saying this is a telepathic pond? Stuart, yes. some things push my, my, <laughs> push my uh, accepted disbelief too far. I can only suspend my disbelief so far. Magic pond with CGI glitter that turns men into dogs to teach them a lesson? Yes. Telepathic ponds? Uh, I no think so. So mm. the pond was the thing that turned him into a dog in the first place? I mean, that no is other explanation unclear. is given. I mean, it's. I mean, and you don't need an explanation. Groundhog Day doesn't have an explanation, right? No, I right? guess you're right. You're right. Right, because they cut out that scene where his ex girlfriend casts a voodoo curse on him. Mm-hmm. So maybe this. And so I, maybe she saw Groundhog Day, and she was like, "Well, if Harold Ramis can get away with it, I can get away with mm-hmm. it." So uh, Prince realizes that he was wrong. Lisa runs out looking for Prince. The two of them are running toward each other. Uh, Prince crosses the road without looking both ways. And unfortunately, is hit and killed by a car. Now, here's my question: when they, when they, when she buries him in a box because he's a dog, yep. at night does his body turn into a man's body and break through the box and then oh. like grow and shrink until he rots away forever? Um, I mean, I feel like I feel like the real shame, the almost cosmic shame, is that when he is hit and killed, that he doesn't he doesn't at least get the dignity to die as a man. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. No, he stays a dog. And also, like, I would have, this scene would have been much less troubling if I saw the actor who was playing uh, Prince uh, on the ground covered in blood than a poor dog on the ground covered in blood. Like, I don't want to see that ever. No, although although the dog does look like a dog who is just taking a nap with some fake blood on his head. Mm -hmm. He's not even playing dead. He's not even on his back with his feet up in the air. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Now, Now, guys, here's the... Here's you, the important point. You got you got to prepare the audience for what's coming next. So, it feels like the movie's over, but no, no, no. We get a new title card. It says years later. How many? <laughs> oh, we'll find out. <laughs> now, you might be expecting two like in the Bratz movie, 3, 4 maybe. Oh mm-hmm. boy. Expand your idea of what years later can mean. So, we uh we have an exterior shot of Lisa's Apartment. It says apartment for rent. What has happened? We'll find out. Paula arrives with a large family in tow, who we learn later are her grandchildren. Uh, 
and they're like adolescents. <laughs> they are. It is a shocking revelation because she, other than dressing slightly more dowdy, she uh, she just has a slight graying to her hair. Yeah, as does Lisa. <laughs> the these elderly apparently women are being designated just by they sprayed some silver into their hair. It's like it's like when a kid plays an old person in a high school play, and they just yeah. put flower in their hair. Like that's yeah. what this is. Uh, and do they specify that it's been 40 years? I don't remember if they ever say the amount of time, but it must be something like that. Uh, so Paula and Lisa have, have not talked since their friend's breakup years ago. Uh, they catch up a little bit, obviously, uh, let bygones be bygones. They sit in a, uh, strangely lit dark room, where they're uh, with heavy shadows, and they uh, Lisa has clearly revealed her uh, her history and her relationship and all the magical properties of her relationship <laughs> she's, she's with, showing, with Prince, and she's showing, she's showing uh, her a photo album. Yeah, oh, no, she's showing her the the photo album of murder photos that we had mentioned before. <laughs> Uh, and and the pictures of her with Prince as a man are on alternate pages with the pictures of her with Prince as a dog. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they start to speculate now, like, what are the rules? If he died then, perhaps he is reincarnated and she could just find him again. How many years has it been? Would it be in dog years or man years? There's and all Paula these possible options. The, says, Paula says... No, his age would restart from the day he died. He'd be much younger than you. But she says that as if, like, well, that's common knowledge. Come on, Lisa. How do you Uh not know that? But Lisa hadn't even considered that possibility. Her (laughs) mind is blown. Uh, (laughs) We then have have a new scene where a young man arrives at the apartment for rent. Yeah. Uh, At first, his face is obscured. Who could this young man be with tussled hair? Although his hair is different in this scene. His hair is different uh, because he's, I guess, a different kind of dog. Yeah. We find out that is young, that is Prince. Prince has returned from the dead, and he is exactly the same age as he used to be, except his hair is different, and he has full memories of his life. He explains that he has a successful career as, huh, you guessed it, a dog trainer. And he's like, did you put that notice in the paper that your apartment was for rent to catch my attention? And she's like, yes. And it seems there would be a much more straightforward way to try to contact somebody than to be like, oh, I'll put my apartment for rent and I'll just hope they show up. Well, also, mm-hmm. she's like, why didn't you find me earlier? And he's he basically is just like, you don't want to know. And the movie just hand waves it away. <laughs> uh, so they are, uh, they... They embrace. Magical dust falls from the sky. Uh, they spin around in circles, and they are getting married in her, I guess, backyard. Oh, but what happens to Prince's hair? Prince's hair. Prince's hair gets old and gray. But then, as they spin around, they both get young again. It's very yeah. strange. It doesn't make any sense. We have a scene of... Before they got young again, by the way, like when it just looked like he was going to get old, I was very worried about his dog training uh, uh, business because yeah. I, I figured that he would go back, try and uh, take you know like take his uh, rightful place as the head of this business and then be like, get out of here, old man. You don't own this business. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, I mean, because he, he looks so incredibly hack, different. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and the, the dogs would be like, you used to smell like young people things, but now you smell smell like gold bond powder and metamucil. Mm-hmm. Get out of here. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, because in the uh, 40 years in the future, people will still be using those two products. I mean, possibly. I, I, I also imagine that he turns old and he's like, what did you do to me? You stole my life away. Uh-huh. I didn't get to grow old. I, I died, remember? You've just stolen years off my life. And Lisa's like, but now we can be together. And he's like, get away from me, you old lady, and runs mm-hmm. away. Uh, but no, they both get young again, right? As they're they, getting they, married. Yeah, so we have a scene of them like in uh, in like a backyard uh, that is dressed up for a wedding. It they spin around in circles as magic dust uh, drops on their head, and they awkwardly kiss in a repetitive manner, and it looks kind of like a loading screen. Uh, <laughs> and they, they they smile at the camera like a couple of sinister vampires. <laughs> <laughs> and that and then we get, of course, the the end title card. So that was Love on a Leash, guys. Did I miss anything else? Well, there's there's not bloops per se, but there are um, some things during the credits just showing the dog training. I guess a, a brief moment of dog training when I realize. Oh, most of the times when there's no, uh, where the sound just cut out completely, they were just awkwardly editing out the dog training commands. <laughs> they were directing the dog during those moments. Uh, this is a movie that I feel like we somehow only, even though we went through it in extreme detail, only scratched the surface of how strange and off-puttingly put together it is and uh-huh. how amateurishly made it is. We barely uh, talked about the, the symbolism of the green and pink color choices. And how between almost every scene, the transition shot is the same footage of ducks on the pond, no matter how far away we are from the pond at that moment. That's mm-hmm. just like how we transition from one scene to another is with those, that image of ducks. Yeah, it is baffling to me that this is available on Amazon Prime. Like, mm-hmm. I know that they just, like, go out and get, like, as much content as they can to have this huge library, but... You know, whatever small licensing fee was paid for Love on a Leash is it's just crazy that this is widely available to basically the whole world. It, it feels like this movie yeah. was made partly as a scam, uh, and that's why there's no sa- like a scam intending to make a feature length film that can be chopped up into smaller segments and used as the video, uh, background video for karaoke videos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's, that's what it feels like. It feels like a, a feature-length adaptation of a karaoke video. Yeah. All right, so I think we're in it already, but is this a good, bad movie, a bad, bad movie, or a movie you kind of like? This is called Final Judgments. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, this is a good, bad movie. Uh, it's totally crazy. <laughs> Yeah I, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I mean, you do have to uh, suffer through some some awkward scenes of attempted sexual assault, but they are very fast. The rest of it is so fucking weird that uh, it's, it's worth checking out if you're I, into that kind of thing. I would say every scene that touches on a hot-button issue or a traumatic thing is handled in such a strangely ham-handed and uh, unnatural way that hopefully it would... Uh, dull the impact of them. Because certainly the characters seem to exist in a, a literally soundless void yes. where emotions make no sense, actions have little to no consequences, <laughs> and you, you are never more than a minute away from a dog singing a song about nothing. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, like, it's it's a, can be a grueling journey if you were to take this on your own. <laughs> like, I don't I don't recommend anyone just sitting down and popping this in. Uh, but yeah, I feel like it would be a fun party movie. Genre film fans, hear me. I know you're out there. 
Do not be ashamed of your love for gore, action, sci-fi, or fantasy. It's time to come out of the shadows, because on Switchblade Sisters, we celebrate our love for genre films. I'm film critic April Wolf. Each week, I have a conversation with a different female filmmaker about their fave genre film, and we cover film craft, getting projects off the ground, working with actors, and our general love for genre movies. I've had so many great guests, like Heather Graham. In the past, it's like so many films are made by men that the female point of view is not always respected, which is why all these stories haven't come out till now. Jennifer's body director, Karin Kusama. I think there's a lot more fantasy and a lot more expectation projected onto a woman director. Comedian and actor, Kate Berlant. I mean, it sounds so cheesy to talk about it in yourself, like, you just keep going, You're, you know, I'm just a vessel, like, I, I just do it, you know, I don't think, but, like, that is what it is. And many others. So check out Switchblade Sisters every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. These are real podcast listeners, not actors. We took the identifying marks off this podcast. Just tell me your impressions. It's really sexy. My first thought is like, Radiolab? Definitely something popular. Yeah, really popular. A hit show. But funny, too. Like, does Tina Fey have a podcast? Or the Marx Brothers? Yeah, is this podcast Radiolab, but hosted by the Marx Brothers? And sexy, like Sade. It reminds me of Sade. Exactly. And they're all riding in a BMW. Close but not quite. Take a look behind these panels. And then watch this rocket blast off into space. And there's the pies we made you. Now, let's show you the podcast. Wow, it was Jordan Jesse Go. Jordan Jesse Go? Hold on. Oh. Oh my goodness. That was 514 J.D. Power & Associates Podcasting Awards. That was really scary. But compelling. I guess I should definitely subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go. Um, yeah. I'd say so. Jordan Jesse Go. A real podcast. All right, guys. Let's move on to our sponsors. The Flophouse. Close the book on this Love on a Leash. Yeah. The Flophouse is brought to you in part by Arm & Hammer Cloud Control Cat Litter. You know what I love? Army Hammer? Army Hammer. And also my cat, Archie. <laughs> he's uh, Archie Hammer. He's a delight. Stuart knows it. Uh, uh, Archie loves me, but adores Stuart. Whenever he comes over, Archie I mean, will be all over him, pushing his face into Stuart's. Um, how, how did this ad for cat litter turn into a passive-aggressive attack on Archie's preference for Stuart? <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say preference. He, I, I, he's happy to see Stuart, because Stuart's not around as much. I don't so know. is this just... an ad for Stuart? Like, you should get Stuart for your cats? <laughs> I'm just talking. I mean, I don't think it's a bad idea. I'm just talking <laughs> about how lovable Archie is to set up the fact that you know, as lovable as Archie that is. That at night he turns into a man. As lovable as Archie is, it's not uh, a fun thing to clean up after him. To handle his poop and his, waste. Uh, his uh, congealed pee. But uh, that's why Arm and Hammer. Dan, I don't think you're cleaning it up fast enough. <laughs> if it's uh, that's congealing. What, that's what litter does. It, uh, you know, clumps it up. Which is why Arm & Hammer created a new cloud control litter. No cloud of nasties here. It is 100% dust-free. 
free of heavy perfumes, and it helps re- reduce airborne dander from scooping. So what happens in the litter box stays in the litter box. So does it does it have a feature in there that uh, when the cat is done using the box, it doesn't immediately run away screaming? <laughs> is that a thing that cats <laughs> yeah, do? Yeah, yeah, cats were like as soon as they finish, they like run off and make. Well, I mean, my screaming? cats make. Well, my cats yeah, make. My cats are. What they've done. My cats are very vocal. Okay, well, just to fi- <laughs> just to finish. Yeah, so, this. Oh, it's more like when someone yells like mail call at an uh-huh. army base. Your, your cat's just like poop here. Who ordered the poop? Poop just, up. Uh, just to finish this read, new cloud control cat litter by Arm and Hammer. More power to you. Uh, so, should we do some plugs for ourselves? Yeah, why not? Oh wait, should we do? Pl- sorry, plugs. jumbotrons. We've got some jumbotrons. Let's, I let's forgot. Let's do jumbotrons, Dan. I know you're sick, and also you turn into a dog at night, mm-hmm. so you kind of forgot the jumbotrons. Let's yeah, do jumbotrons. Okay, jumbotrons. <laughs> Did you ever wish there was a movie review podcast that reviewed insane role-playing games from history instead of movies? No? <laughs> Shoot, that's $200 wasted. Jeff and John examine the oddities of RPG history and somehow get real personal about it too on System Mastery. They've already reviewed more than 150 different games from the 70s to today, and new episodes come out every two weeks. So, check out the System Mastery Podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, or just visit SystemMasteryPodcast.com. If you're Sounds like great. me, a real RPG freak. <laughs> uh, this Jumbotron message is for Holly, the best mom in the world, and it's from Melissa. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And the message is, hi mom, by the time you hear this, you'll be breast cancer free. To celebrate your recovery, I got you a message from the Peaches. I'm so thankful and so blessed to have a mother like you and so happy you're healthy again. Hopefully Elliot won't sing a letter song because I know you don't like them, even though I do. Love, your daughter, Melissa. Well, I feel like now I have to not sing a letter song. It feels like it would be, uh, you know, I don't know, guys, or should I just go against uh, what this person likes or doesn't like? Anyway. It doesn't matter. Oh, uh, she- you're uh, you're asking our preferences. On this <laughs> <one>? <laughs> uh, good point. Good point. I shouldn't ask. Uh, Holly, I'm so glad you're healthy too, and that's wonderful. What a nice message. Um, all Two right. Two lovely messages. Time for plugs. Yep. Uh, we've still got some live shows coming up. Elliot, why don't you tell us about those if you can? That's right. We got the day this episode comes out, I believe, will be September uh-huh. 28th, 2019. We'll be in Boston, or technically Brookline, at WBUR City Space. We're doing two shows. The 7 p.m. show, Alita, Battle Angel, uh-huh. is sold out. But the 9.45 p.m., Godzilla, King of the Monsters, I think we still have some tickets available. So... Come on down, September 28th, coming down tonight, if you're listening to this on the day of release, and mm-hmm. hear us talk about the king of the monsters, that's right, Alita, but mm-hmm. also Godzilla. Uh, on October 12th, a few weeks later, we'll be in Los Angeles at the Regent Theater talking about Dark Phoenix. So, September 28th, today, try and come see our Boston Late Show, the early show yep. is sold out, October 12th. Los Angeles, come and see us talk. And those tickets are available at flophousepodcast.com slash events. I will say for Boston, we do PowerPoints before each show. I will have two new presentations, one for each show. So if you want to see two new ones for Boston that I will probably never do again because they are incredibly Uh Boston-specific, come to both shows. Oh, and Elliot, I know you were worried about this. Uh, uh, On the last episode, you said we'll probably be signing before each show. 
we haven't confirmed with the venue that that's okay because of the tight schedule. But if it does happen, it will be before each show. Yeah, so just uh, get give yourself a little bit of time in case we're signing merchandise. We uh, will hopefully have time to do that. But yeah, I didn't want to make any promises that I couldn't keep. I didn't want to write any checks my body couldn't cash. Mm-hmm. But with that body? I don't mm-hmm. think there are any checks that couldn't cash, Elliot. Oh, wow. I mean, big checks because it's a very small body. Wow, Dan's really, uh, Dan's really bigging us up today. He's talking about my, uh, my, my cat magic and your, uh, your bod. My body magic, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, did I tell you guys about my new my self-help book, Body Magic? No, what's it about? Well, a lot of us forget that we're not just a person. We're also a body. Uh-huh. And inside every body is magic. Oh, no kidding. So it's all about unlocking the magic inside you. For instance, Dan, what would you tell me? What would you, if I said, Dan, there's magic inside you. What would you say? Uh, I would say get that get that shit out of me, man. Oh, that's a weird. Just thing. like it's not the reaction I was hoping for from like, from the people you know, that I wanted like to sell a, the book to. Like a, uh, like I was hoping more of excitement, excitement, and celebration that there's magic inside you. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> want that in there. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't release the book. Who knows All what right. it's uh, doing? Let's just, let's just move on to the next segment. Then I, I've got to talk to the publisher. I think we made a big mistake. <laughs> So the next segment is letters from listeners. I mean, that's you just took a you know a tar- like a, a small sample of your target audience and got a negative response. I feel like you could yeah you, you could I, spread that around a little more. I don't know. Well, Stuart, what would you say if I said you have magic inside your body? I go ah, get it out of me. <laughs> okay, this is not good. So far, a hundred percent in my poll said don't want the magic in them. Oh boy. Uh, so moving on to letters from listeners. First letter we have received uh-huh. is from Tucker, last name withheld. Carlson must die? My question for you is... Uh, wait. Tucker... Uh-huh. No, it's not Carlson. Tucker Carlson, Tucker Carlson is, the, is the, I mean, the, I would prefer if he was not on television, but I would not like to wish uh, death on anybody. <laughs> uh, you're thinking of... Was it Tucker... What was that movie? Uh, oh, uh, John Tucker must die. Is that it? No, uh, I don't think so. No, that's John dies at the end that I think you're thinking of. Uh, Hold on, let's let just look this up. let's just assume that my booze-addled brain has messed this one up, and hopefully I not just, gotten us into legal trouble. <laughs> I just want to say that Stuart is not uh, in any way. Uh, John, it was John Tucker must die. You were right there. Uh, Stuart is not in Air any horns. way advocating the death of somebody he disagrees with politically. I assume. <laughs> I'm not advocating that. Well, yeah, I'm not advocating that at all. No, I'm, I just clearly <laughs> messed up movie titles. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, uh, Tucker, last name withheld. Maybe so why, why was Tucker it that Carlson? John Tucker had to die? I don't understand. Yeah, Dan, was, what happened in the he movie? He was dating three women at the same time, um, and they all found out. Oh, so you're saying Archie Andrews is just one woman away from having to die. That's true, yeah. Uh, good day, Peaches. My question for you is this. What are the Peaches' desert island discs? In other words, if the floppers got castawayed, which three albums would they hope to find in a FedEx box washed up on shore? Or if Dan decides that would take too long, which one album would you listen to with an anthropomorphized volleyball? Uh, and also, he's a, uh, he has a PS here for Meliatalica. Mm-hmm. And other metalheads of the house. I mean, I would go to Stu first, but I guess both of you. I want to recommend a solid thrash record made by Australia's premier weirdos, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, mm-hmm. titled "Infest." I love the any rats. name that rhymes that much. <laughs> titled "Infest the Rat's Nest." Half despair over the inevitable environmental ca- calamities to come. Half narrative about some Earthlings who get exiled to Venus. One whole bunch of catchy thrash tunes. 
But um, uh-huh. that's just a side recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know we were at recommendations already. Well, I mean. Okay, Dan, what are your desert island discs? Uh, Pick three or die. Uh, Abbey Road, my uh-huh. favorite of the yeah. Beatles albums, yep. uh, and a nostalgic favorite because uh-huh. yep. we listened to it in college a lot. Uh, speaking. Yeah, that's to- when it came out, right? Okay, shut up. Uh, I'm not that old. <laughs> Speaking in tongues by Talking Heads. Um, it's you know it's hits front st- front to back. A lot of people like a little nervier earlier stuff, but I I feel like this is a kind of a good balance between the nervy stuff and like the sort of world beat stuff that came later for the funkier uh, stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, Fox Confessor brings the flood by Nico Case who started out kind of as an alt-country person and then just became undefinable and wonderful and weird, and uh, she's got such a beautiful voice. I love it. Those are mine. Uh-huh. Elliot? Uh, I think I would want to have Judas Priest Unleashed in the East, their uh-huh. kind of live album. There's a lot of extra studio stuff added, which has some of my favorite versions of some of their fl- songs. Then I think I'd go to the... Hmm, I have a Judas thing on there. I guess I have to have a Jesus thing on there. That's right. The original album of Jesus Christ Superstar, not the Broadway cast album, the original concept album before it was a stage show. And then I think maybe uh, a recording of the uh, radio series of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the first one. That sounds great. Those all are technically discs. Uh, I don't know. I'd probably, uh, let's say, I'll do... Uh, those ones loyal by bolt thrower uh, for obvious reasons uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, I don't know awaken the guardian by fate's warning once again because uh, that's a really awesome album of tunes and then finally hysteria by Def Leppard an album that's back-to-back bangers baby <laughs> it's <laughs> a lot of alliteration you must really love it oh yeah All right, well, this uh, next letter is from Aaron, last name withheld. Mm -hmm. (coughs) Pardon me. Who writes, Dear Speeches, I just came upon some startling news that shook my entire world. Mm -hmm. While watching a YouTube video, they made a passing joke about a band from Star Wars called the Jizz Whalers. Well, uh, hold on. The band is called Figrin to Anne and the Modal Nodes, and they are Jizz Whalers, yes. Yeah. Cool. Um... (laughs) Yeah, uh, beloved characters such as Max Rebo and Figrin Dan use jizz boxes to partake in jizz. Uh-huh. Have you ever learned something about a movie, whether it be lore choice, lore choices, or even real life? Uh, sorry, lore choices, uh-huh. or even real life facts that change your view on a movie that you enjoy? And also, how do I go on in life knowing this terrible piece of trivia? Yours truly, Aaron. Last name withheld. Uh, well, with that kind of trivia, you could just like, I don't know, be on a podcast and make references to it uh, because, uh, it's a way to say jizz a lot. Which is one of the most popular musical styles in the universe. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I remember watching, uh, I, I saw the, uh, the movie Serenity, uh, not the one for the podcast, but the, uh, the one based on the Firefly TV show. I saw that, uh, in the theater uh, long before I ever actually watched the TV show, so then going back and watching the TV show made me like the uh, like the movie more. Is that that's kind of like a lower choice? It's uh, like I had a context for what for the events of the movie, and I like the movie more. 
And yeah. it made me feel bad when uh, something bad happened to happens to one specific character. Uh, okay. That's I'm, how you don't spoil something, Dan. Uh, <laughs> I'm dubious about that fitting into the category that uh, this guy... Oh, uh, uh, uh-oh. Cool. It's time for a new segment called Dan McCoy, Letter Judge. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll move along. Will Letter Judge Dan McCoy allow it? Bump, bump, bump. On the stand, the Honorable Dan McCoy, the guy who chooses the letters and sends them to us too late for us to really think about them much ahead of time. Bump, 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 bump. The defendant... Stuart Wellington. He's just trying to answer the question. A question that, my apologies to the letter writer, was not super clear to me. Bump, 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 bump. Making the noises. Elliot Kalin, a guy who likes to talk and hear himself talk, even though his voice is objectively annoying. How will Judge Dan McCoy rule? The only way to find out is to listen on Judge Dan McCoy, Letter Judge. Bump, bump, bump. So, uh... So, uh... So, Dan. Your Honor. Your Honor. (laughs) Do you think I, I answered that question correctly? Uh, I, I'm going to have to rule. Oh, that. why are you making a face? Do you not like my accent choice? <laughs> well, I don't know why you're playing yourself, but you added an accent. Oh, because I'm little Stuart Wellington. <laughs> um, that does, you just repeated your name. I don't think that was a justification. No, I added a little Objection. in front. <laughs> I object. That's right. It's me, Phoenix Wright. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> the famous fictional character. And I'm oh, objecting. Wow. I, hope he's, uh, I hope he's representing me. I'm going to have to represent Stuart on this one. Your Honor, I object. You are clearly biased in this case. Instead, I'm going to take this all the way to the highest court in the land. Literally, it's time for Marijuana Court, starring Judge Dan McCoy. J- Dan, you have to get high for this part. Done. I so will. Do you want to- <laughs> yeah, um, I'm going to move along because I'm sick and I want to have this this terror end. Um, okay. Well, I did not have a great answer for that question anyway. But did uh, you, Dan? No, well, I would say that the... The closest I can think of is when I learn when I learn that something bad happened on set. It will affect yeah. my like like Death Proof, for instance, is a movie that a lot of people rank as Quentin Tarantino's worst. But I I actually have a lot of fondness for it as like this weird hangout movie that turns into this like deconstruction of a horror movie. But um. But to learn that like Uma Thurman almost died because of negligence on the set is not great. Of a well, previous and especially, movie. Yeah, especially strange that she almost died on the set of Death Proof since she's not in the film. Oh, shit. What am I thinking of? Kill Bill. You think of Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. A Quentin Tarantino you know, movie starring Uma Thurman. But they're car but, movies. That's well, why I like, associated them ahead. But that, no, but I understand. I, I, way, get like, it. I think in a way the idea of him following up a movie where he almost killed an actress due to his negligence. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for then, saving me. He then makes a movie about a guy with a, a car where the person could never be injured if he's driving it properly. Uh, then killing people with that car is yeah, and then well, and he also weird. puts his uh, he puts Zoe is it Zoe Bell yeah in grave danger in one of the one of the craziest car chases in movie history yeah all right well and, that, that, and but then also talks a lot about how well we use real stunts we use real cars to to it's like he's daring fate. It's like mm-hmm. a Final Destination thing, where it's like, mm, Tony Todd, you were too much of a, of a whip to kill Uma Thurman <laughs> on the set of my last movie. Will you kill Zoe Bell in this one? Hmm. Yeah. All right, so since my brain obviously failed me there, I'm just going to switch over we, to, we helped. to Twilight Zone, the movie, where people actually did die. And uh, that was oh, a movie yeah. I, I enjoyed much as a kid, because it was on HBO constantly, but then I learned about that, and I'm like, well, uh, maybe I'll just skip to the better segments. <laughs> And uh, ignore the rest of them. And uh, I, think, I, and I mean, and that also like colors my 
feelings toward all John Landis movies. Yeah, a, a, a very talented uh, comedy director, but I yeah, he's he's obviously not a great person to yeah. say the least. So the uh, yeah, it it hurts it whenever I'm when I mean, especially loving old movies as I do. There's everyone has a like there's it's hard to find someone who is involved in anything that doesn't have something negative in their background even if it's just learning like what a right wing uh pro uh blacklist person Barbara Stanwyck was or something like that you know there are all these these actors and actresses and filmmakers that I see their movies and I'm like delightful and then I learn behind the scenes I'm like oh well they they were on the wrong side of that one who boy okay wow who yikes ah who wow Oh boy! Well, <laughs> okay. Wow, gonna have to. Okay, well, forget. Oh, mm, uh, well, can I? Okay, so that's all right. Great. I think uh, I think Elliot Elliot wow. broke down. <laughs> you might want to reboot him. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. He's he's too hot. His, uh, his processor is just oh, it's way too hot. Now he's just doing like the background noises from uh, uh, Cell Block Tango in Chicago. <laughs> all right, enough enough of this. All right. Uh, so the last letter is from Ray, last name withheld, who says, Hello, gentlemen. So I was mindlessly watching The Sorcerer's Apprentice the other night, mm-hmm. and it came to the scene where Nicolas Cage delivers the line, So unless you... Tw- I, th- I, thought you, I, thought you I thought you said, The Sorcerer's a Princess, and I'm like, what a much better movie that would have been. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it came to the scene where Nicolas Cage delivers the line, So unless you want him to turn you into a pig who just loves physics... And I thought that was the best line in this whole bad movie. It got me thinking, what's your favorite line or delivery? No, Elliot, I'm not referring to a postal scene in a otherwise He's bad movie. He's got me. He's got me. I love plays on words, except when Dan's tweeting them. Army of Darkness is arguably a bad movie. I will argue with you. Uh, only worth watching for the multitude of ashisms. Thanks, Ray. Last name withheld. Was it uh was it in that Red Riding Hood movie where Gary Oldman has that line delivery where he's just like, no, yeah, <laughs> it's like somebody's best. asked if he can touch a sword. He's like, no. <laughs> Gary Oldman also uh, in uh, the Professional when he's like, get me everyone or whatever the line is like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he like goes full uh, F. Murray Abraham in it. This is not a bad movie, but for me, like in terms of line delivery. One of my favorite line deliveries that we've uh, we've referenced on the show before is from *Romancing the Stone*, where at the end uh, one of the bad guys goes, "Joan Wilder, you and your sister can go," <laughs> and it's so funny. That's it's, the one. It's hard because I there's so many line deliveries from things where I am like, "Oh, that was amazing," and then I go back and rewatch the moment. I'm like, "Oh, that's not that. It's actually not that exciting." There's a, so I don't want to pick one and then go back and look at it again and be like, oh, well, that I really built that up in my mind. Yeah. So let's just say you mentioned Nicolas Cage and Sorcerer's Apprentice. I'm gonna say whenever Nicolas Cage is in a bad movie, I love every line that he delivers. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that letter may have ended in a whimper, but don't worry. We have one more segment on the show, and that is recommendations of movies that you should watch. Probably instead of Love on a Leash, unless you are a bad movie fan, in which case, why not watch both? Uh, Stuart, do you have a recommendation? I do. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie that is, I think, just wrapping up its limited theatrical run, 
but it also just popped up on the streaming service Shudder. Uh, I'm recommending the movie uh, whose English title is Tigers Are Not Afraid. It's a Spanish-language movie shot in Mexico, I believe, um, and it's a bit of a like a dark fairy tale with horror elements about... It follows a group of... Uh, street children who have been orphaned by the like drug war and the human trafficking uh, that seems to plague their city and uh, the children have like kind of a, a like a rich uh, like internal fantasy that tries to cover up some of the horrors that they experience um, and yeah it's just it's a lot of fun uh, the performances of these children are great um, it's scary at times. It's yeah. It's it's uh, it's. Uh, I found it to be a really affecting uh, short little movie. Uh, check it out if you can. Uh, I finally got to see a movie that I'd wanted to see for a long time, which is Paris is Burning, uh, the documentary from 1990, by directed by Jenny Livingston. That's about the uh, ball scene of the late 80s in New York, the kind of underground ball scene that the mostly gay, mostly non-white. Uh, community would throw on to kind of perform different roles in a, in semi-public, in front, it, it, public in the community, in order to like win different competitions and as a way of expressing different fantasies of uh, being part of the larger culture that they had been shut out of. And they do a really good job of like just bringing you into this scene and introducing you to a bunch of the important people in it and also using that as a lens to show you how kind of screwed up the mainstream white straight culture of the 1980s, and I assume today still is, and it's, <laughs> yeah. emph- it's, it's overt kind of emphasis on money and fame and fashion and surface at the expense of really understanding people underneath that surface <coughs> and the tensions that these the, the performers involved in the ball scene have to put up with in being wanting to be a part of that larger world and yet being shut out of it and trying to recreate it. And I just thought it was really fantastic and very, uh, uh, you know, just powerful and brilliant and emotional. And it's one of these movies where I'm like, oh, I should have watched this a long time ago. But I'm glad I'm finally seeing it now. It's on Netflix right now. So that's Paris is Burning. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie from 1942. What? It's directed by Henri-Georges Clouseau who uh, is his most famous movies are Diabolique and Wages of Fear. And this is actually his first movie. The American title would be The Murderer Lives at Number 21. And uh, if you have the criterion... What's the French title, Dan? Uh, L'Assassin Habite au 21. Vente et un, I guess, would be the... I'd be nervous that that title would bury the lead in the mystery, but that's okay. Uh, and uh, or spoil it if you have the Criterion streaming yes, channel, right. it's available on that. And uh, it is a there's a serial killer in 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 Paris, and he is baffling the police. He leaves a calling card at all of his murders, and a tip leads uh, the inspector on the case to realize where the killer lives, but not who the killer is because it's a boarding house. And so he moves in there to try un, uh, undercover to try and figure it out. And also his um, his opera singer girlfriend wants to figure it out as well to get uh, publicity for herself. And it's um, kind of a combination of a 
a thriller and an Agatha Christie sort of chamber mystery, but it's also very, very funny. It's like, it's got a light touch and Clouseau is sort of, he's looked, people call him the French Hitchcock and that is very accurate while also being reductive because he's uh, such a great director on his own. But if you like kind of the lighter, zippier Hitchcock thrillers, this is in that vein and it's only 84 minutes. So why not check it out? That's my recommendation. Three movies Dan McCoy. recommended. We now did it, we guys. Podcast, we recommended guy. three movies. Uh, and now, having fulfilled our compact with you, the listener, mm-hmm. we prepare to sign off by saying, why not check out uh, the other great podcasts over at MaximumFun.org? Uh-huh. Uh, it's a great network. Got a lot of great shows. There's like 30-something shows now. On the network. That's some shows. They, did the, they made a TV show about the network called 30-something. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And uh, tweet about us, review us on iTunes, uh-huh. grab people in the streets and force them to listen to us. Probably don't do that last one. Yeah, come to our live shows. Uh, if you are a MaxFun donor, uh, you can expect in the coming weeks a new uh, installment of our uh, Flop Tales bonus content where I make these dudes play uh, and our friend Jubin play role-playing games with me. And thanks again to Jordan who does uh, most of the uh, engineering and editing for the show these days. Jordan Calling. Yep. She has a last name. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, I okay. I never know how much people like want to be revealed on a thing or not. I guess I could ask her. I mean, and you can put it out there and then she can just edit it out. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Jordan, you're in control. I've been working with Jordan on another donor's uh, special thing uh, with John Hodgman. Uh, we've been working on a podcast called iPodius, in which John Hodgman and I are watching and reviewing using every the potty. episode. Of, yeah, we're using the potty together. <laughs> and, we re- and talk to each other while we're doing it. We're reviewing each episode of iClaudius, and that should be available sometime in the fall, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's fall now. Uh, so oh, well, Sometime later in the fall, then. <laughs> Maybe the winter. Uh, yeah, this has been fun, guys. Thanks for doing the show. Okay, well, so many episodes in, we still don't know how to end it. So I'm just going to say... On a high note. Uh, <laughs> thanks for listening for the Flophouse. I've been Dan McCoy. Hey, I'm Stuart Wellington. And hey, it's Elliot Kalen saying, Hey, everybody, go out there and rediscover the magic inside you. <laughs> no, get it out of me! Ah! The end. Okay. You're like Shakespeare, except mm-hmm. for the quality. Yeah. And the um, acclaim. Okay. That's, uh... But he's also dead, so you're also not like Shakespeare in that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do we got any more? Uh, let's uh, turn it to the audience. Is there any ways that Dan is not like Shakespeare? Right into How Dan Is Not Like Shakespeare, Care of the Flophouse, 123 Fake Street, America, New York, USA, 10099, USA, up all night. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.